Welcome to Animals to the Max. I'm your host, Corbin Maxey. This show is about animals and the people who dedicate their lives to them. Thank you so much, as always. I'm so happy that you're here with me today, listening to the show, okay? We're gonna talk about something pretty controversial today. We are gonna talk about the controversial coyote. That kind of has a ring to it, right? Controversial coyote. Anyway, coyotes are one of the most misunderstood animals, I feel like, here in North America. I'm, in, you know, if you're not familiar, I live in Idaho, born and raised. And out here in Idaho, you know, growing up here, there is this consensus that, you know, coyotes are bad. Coyotes need to be removed. We have coyote killing contests. I mean, you talk to a lot of farmers, a lot of ranchers, they will tell you that coyotes are bad and they need to be exterminated. And they just have these horrible, horrible reputations. And honestly, you know, I've been working with animals now for 18, 19 years. I've always liked to focus and work with the animals that are misunderstood. I'm a huge reptile person, so of course, you know, snakes, spiders, bats, wolves, a lot of people are terrified of these animals, you know, coyotes, and I always like to shine a positive light on these animals because honestly, they are so important uh, for the environment. And you know, you might be listening to me and you're like, oh, blah, 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 Corbin, like, I don't care, you know, why are they important? Like. Is it just because you like them? Like, why are these, you know, animals necessary? And, you know, truly, when you look at something like a coyote, the fact that one coyote can eat over 1,800 rodents a year alone, I mean, that's mind-blown. That is like having a natural, free pest control. It's organic, natural. I mean, there's, like I said, these animals fill an ecological niche, and they're so important. And so on today's show, I have a conversation with Kelly Hendricks. Kelly is the Ranching with Wildlife Coordinator for Project Coyote. She's actually married to a rancher, and they've been uh, ranching cattle in California for years. So she has, you know, a full-on experience with all aspects and all views of, you know, working with wildlife, with wildlife conflicts, and, you know, with coyotes. And during today's discussion, we just go into coyotes, um, although I know some of you might call them coyotes, but we discuss coyotes and we kind of dispel some myths. We talk about what is going on right now currently in Vancouver, Canada, where they're having a high number of very rare instances where coyotes are actually attacking people. We had a listener write in, actually, Dina. Dina, thank you so much for writing in. She had a question on, you know, what should we do with these coyotes attacking people in Stanley Park in Vancouver? So Kelly goes into that. We talk about coyotes and ranching and what to do if you have livestock. We talk about non-lethal ways to control predators to keep them away, preventative measures measures to keep your animals safe. We talk about coyotes and pets. There are often these stories of coyotes leading, uh, you know, a, a dog away from its home and then, you know, trying to lead it out to the forest where they have a pack of coyotes waiting and they come in for the attack. We talk about misconceptions. We honestly talk about it all. I had a fantastic time talking to Kelly. So for those of you listening, if you are pro-coyote or anti-coyote, please listen. We cover all aspects of this, okay? So please listen with open ears. I encourage you also to check out the after show. It's a great place to be if you're a fan of Animals to the Max and you want to hear the full interview, uh, check out the after show. All you have to do is head on over to patreon.com slash animals to the max. And this week's after show, Kelly asks me about my two alligators, Chompers and Sonny, and ask about their rescue stories and what it's like working with alligators on a daily. So we had a really fun discussion about that. So check that out. I will include the links in the show notes. I also encourage you, as always, if you are a fan of the show, to rate and review the show. It just pushes the podcast out to more people. With that said, though, let's get to it. Kelly, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. I'm excited to be here. Okay, so you and I both talked prior that you and I both live out in the country and internet connections are like not our friends. <laughs> oh, it's a nightmare. It is a nightmare. Yeah, isn't it? So where where are you located? I'm in Sonoma County, but out in the country. But I've been to Africa and there were tribes in Zimbabwe that got a better internet connection than I do. So I don't, <laughs> I don't know what the problem is here. I really don't. Isn't that and weird? And I'm on top of a hill, like a mile up the top of a hill. 
That is so crazy. You know what's frustrating? We got a new router in our alligator house where we do a lot of our live feedings. Like the router is right next to the habitat and it still cuts out every time I do a live. And I'm just like, we put a new satellite on top of the building and we still get crazy internet, like horrible internet connection. It makes no sense. Yeah. I don't understand any of it. Yeah. And you're in California too, like a place where a lot of people think like everyone should have good internet connection there. Right? Wouldn't you think? That's what I think. It's Sonoma County in California. You'd think that, you know, you could be anywhere and get good air and connection, but it doesn't turn out to be the case. Yeah. Okay. So you're here today. I'm so excited to talk about an animal. We actually had a listener recently uh, request that we do this animal. And I've had a few people ask in the past where we talk about coyotes. And first of all, do you say coyotes or coyote? I say coyote, but a lot of people in the West say coyote. Like in, I, I mean, in Idaho, most people call them coyotes, right? Mm-hmm. Yep, yep. That's yeah. yeah. Yeah, we call so, them coyotes. But I've always called them coyotes. I don't know why, but yeah. Yeah. Okay. Is that okay? Very nice. So, do the majority of people in California call them coyotes or use or coyotes? There's a little bit of both. Yeah. Okay. Most of the ranchers will call them coyotes. Yeah. Okay. I just hope you don't cringe when I say like Project <laughs> Coyote and you're like, oh my God, he's not saying our organization right. <laughs> It does sound weird in my ears for some reason when it didn't used to before I was um, advocating on behalf of them. And I don't know why that is, but yeah, it's well, kind of like when um, back in the old days, people would call San Francisco Frisco. And if you oh. lived in the city, it would be like, oh, that sounds horrible. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. Oh, my gosh. Well, thank you for coming on the show to talk about uh, coyotes. They have uh, they're pro- like probably one of the worst reputations, I would say, of any animal today would you not agree i would agree and it's um the more you learn about them the more you realize how undeserved that reputation is but they are the most maligned predator certainly in north america and um although now um wild pigs are kind of picking i think that the more people are getting educated about coyotes and understanding their value then um the powers that be mainly like things like USDA wildlife services has to find a new villain. So now it's um, getting to be wild pigs where they're picking on them quite a bit, which is good too. Cause they're invasive. Um, they're invasive in some areas, but um, they're also, I, I think anytime we uh, label something as like a varmint or invasive or something like that, it opens up a whole, uh, it allows us to uh, treat them in ways that we shouldn't treat any animal and just persecute them. And before we look at the fact is, is this kind of control actually helping or is it solving any sort of problem? So um, often most invasive species are animals that have been uh, released by humans, you know, often to hunt or things like that for recreational hunt. And then we blame the animal. We're like, oh, these invasive species, they're horrible. We need to exterminate them. But we often go about it in the wrong ways that don't actually help the situation. So. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And before we talk about, go, I guess, going back to coyotes, what, what, is, what is your background? And uh, like, what do you focus on working at Project Coyote? My background is I'm a retired horse trainer. And uh, my husband and I are... Um, cattle ranchers. My husband's uh, managed the cow cop operation on the ranch we live on for over 25 years. Mm. So my life, I grew up on ranches. My uncles were all from Idaho and a ranching family. And yeah, I know you're from Idaho too. So you can relate to that. A lot of ranching families in there. And um, in places like Idaho, as you know, there's a lot of um, anti-predator sentiments. Um, So that's the kind of... um, uh, attitudes towards predators that I was around most of my life. And as I um, was around the animals a lot and saw that it was um, mostly undeserved, these uh, ideas we have about them, that I always knew when I had more time in my life that I wanted to focus on uh, helping people understand the animals better and uh, work to protect them. Because I always say that the lowliest skunk has more ecological value than like the greatest human being. Right. I mean, mm-hmm. we don't really know if there's any ecological value to humans. Probably not. It seems like the exact opposite is true. So I wanted the people to look at them with that kind of perspective and understand their values. So when I retired from horse training, I 
began uh, working with Project Coyote. I found them and I was really impressed by the work that they did and the Science Advisory Board, which has some of the top uh, wildlife scientists, you know, um, wild canid scientists in the world. And so I reached out to them and I reached out to a lot of organizations offering to help and nobody even got back to me. But when I reached out to Project Coyote, the executive director, Camilla Fox, got right back to me and said, yeah, we'd love to have you help. So I've been working with them since then. That was, I think, 2012. And then I started, um, I wanted to work hands-on with all these animals too. So I could really understand how best to uh, help eliminate conflicts and things like that. So I started working with Sonoma County Wildlife Rescue and I've uh, worked with them since then. And I worked in the hospital. I foster wildlife. Uh, we're, uh, last year I've fostered over 50 orphan babies. This year, I don't know how many have I fostered, but just getting to the end of baby season, I released the last babies yesterday. So I'm exhausted. It's been baby, a very long baby, baby, baby coyotes, baby, all kinds of baby, animals. Everything. <laughs> yeah, baby, yeah. everything. So this year, I think because of climate change every year, uh, baby season gets longer and longer this year. It, uh, I think I got my first babies in February, so, oh my gosh. which is insane. Right. Mm -hmm. I mean, it used to seem like it was, uh, april to september or something and now we're into february to october um pretty soon it'll just be there will be no baby season it'll be like fire season out here it'll just be almost year round you are just a complete godsend the most selfless like people who work in animal rescue i just take my hat off to them especially wildlife rescue because it is a 24 7 job and it seems like it never stops and i have a good friend who's been doing it here in idaho for over I think 40 or 50 years and it's like she's never made a dime off of it and she literally is just dedicates her whole life and it's like those are the people you guys deserve everything because I mean truly you guys are you guys are really heroes you know thank you so much for saying that I was just talking to um I also volunteer with a um a domestic dog uh, rescue and we take in dogs in need and rehome them called Little Trooper Ranch. Mm -hmm. And I was uh, with the um, our president, I'm vice president of it, but the president, uh, Odessa Gunn, and we were talking about that yesterday because I was releasing squirrels on her property. And we were talking about how um, her dad was at, her dad was there and he's asking us, oh, does this pay a lot of money, this kind of work? <laughs> and I started laughing and I'm like, um, oh no, I spend a lot of money on it though. I mean, and we were talking about how the world's kind of upside down because the work we do um, is really important, I feel, obviously, and and not only is it not celebrated, but it's often, uh, I often have to defend it to people. And I've pretty much spent, I took any amount of retirement, anything I saved from um, the uh, my years working in horse rescue, and I put it towards um, helping wildlife and rehabilitating wildlife and just hope that I die young relatively young <laughs> well, <laughs> because I, I don't have any more retirement left well thank you for what you do and there's not enough people like you out there and that's like what scares me even here locally with the gal i know she's in her late 70s and it's like what happens when she passes away it, it, it's right. terrifying and you know i mean anyway so i just there's not enough of you out there and a lot of times you get like i'm sure you get hundreds of phone calls for wildlife rescues and it's like come get this squirrel come get this baby bird that fell out of its nest what do i do with the snake in the yard it's just it's never ending it's never ending and um and a lot of times it's just because someone's annoyed with an animal and this is another thing of why this work is so important uh lots of us are living around wild animals that we maybe aren't accustomed to or haven't been in the past and people freak out like oh mm -hmm. there's a raccoon under my house so someone come get it and they don't realize that when you call someone to come get it those animals are killed and often leave behind dependent young so humans um i'm probably particularly um on it i was on next door last night uh when a big thread about some mountain lions that had killed chickens oh and once i get on things like next door um i'm usually in a pretty upbeat space like there's hope we can get through this but when i get down in the social media stuff i'm like there's no hope we're no. all gonna die yeah. so i'm like in that headspace right now because i was dealing with that all night but um so my um attitudes towards humans is at a low right now but 
um, yeah, we can be really terrible and we fail to see the big picture. Humans can be horribly selfish and um, not very understanding of other living creatures around us. No, and we have people who live in the foothills, I mean, here in Idaho, in California, and it's like this is, we're living where these animals have been living for thousands of years, and you get people who are like, what do I do with a snake in my yard? It's like, well, it's it's like, you know, it's like it's yeah. like saying, like, what do I do with the birds in the sky? Like, I don't know, it's like you need, we need to, <laughs> we need to find a way to somehow coexist, you know, right? with you know, with, um, just with these animals. Cause yeah, I just, yeah. So, yeah, it's, it's, it's infuriating sometimes, even though I, um, try not to get annoyed with people because often it's just based on ignorance or, um, uh, fear. And, um, the more you educate people, the better they get. Right. But sometimes you can't help but go down that rabbit hole of like, why are people so stupid? I mean, yeah. why are we so scared of everything? I have trouble understanding that aspect of it, of um, why people automatically fear wildlife, you know, Mm. Um, because when you look at the statistics, you know, let's take for coyotes, for example, Um, statistically, they uh, maybe bite, uh, and it's usually very superficial, maybe um, bite uh, a couple of dozen people through all of North America um, every year. And people, are, oh, my God, I saw a coyote. Everybody look out for coyotes, uh, you know, mm-hmm. hide your children. And yet dogs, domestic dogs, at, um, bite uh, 4.5 million people every year. And a lot of those are very serious bites. A thousand people a day go to emergency rooms because of dog bites. I don't want people to fear dogs either, but I want them to have perspective. In the big picture, uh, wildlife we're far more dangerous to wildlife than wildlife are to us. Domestic dogs alone are far more dangerous than all wild animals combined, really. Yes, and if you're listening to this, I always love this stat, but you're more likely to be killed by being hit in the head by a coconut than probably being bit by a coyote. Let's just say that. I mean, truly, like seriously, like you are, (laughs) or like, hate this, or like uh, car accidents. I mean, driving to work, it's like, it's there's so many more riskier things than uh, some of the wildlife we encounter. I just had a guy on my podcast who's been photographing bears for 40 years, like 40 years. He's been photographing grizzlies and black bears, polar bears. And he has never had like an instance where this was like a close call where he felt that he needed to, I mean, never, ever, ever. Like he gave him the space, but it's just 40 years of that experience. He's never had something crazy like that happen. So. Right. Wouldn't you, I'm sure he, like me, he's probably more nervous. You're more likely to get attacked walking your dog by another person yeah. or a dog than any kind of wild animal. So our, what we're scared of doesn't often, it's not based on reality. Yeah. That's what I find. It's just, yeah. So wild animals are one of the safest, you know, if you want to be out in nature, the chances of you, any wild animal, just an unprovoked attack is minuscule. Absolutely. So let's go just focus on coyotes. Cause they have such a bad reputation here in Idaho people just go out and shoot them for fun. It is like they have people just go out and it just some people just, you know what I mean? Um, some people shoot them because they fear for livestock. Let's just get into it. Cause like I said, they're the most maligned creature probably in North America. I mean, right now, I mean, next to wolves, I don't know, maybe they're <laughs> neck and neck, yeah. but I don't know, but, uh, they're both not looking good. Yeah. It's crazy. Um, uh, it goes to that old, rancher sentiment that the only uh, good coyote is a dead coyote and luckily things are slowly starting to change but the frustrating things with humans is that our attitudes are very slow to change and for the attitudes to change to cause any kind of systematic change is even slower but um people i think in north america we kill almost a million coyotes a year and that's just government kills you know that doesn't even count uh things like uh coyote killing contests and all those other kind of kills so it's a a, a, we kill out so 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 many coyotes and really out of those kills how many were actually causing any sort of problem and and it's easy it's easy to see that the vast majority of them all those coyotes that are killed are just out there serving their ecological purpose and there was you know the world is uh, a worse place because those animals are gone it it solves no you know it's sol- it was solving no issues. So it's 
I don't really understand why we are so determined to persecute them. Um, I think ranchers are starting to overall um, get better about understanding their value and understanding that uh, by killing them, you're really not protecting your livestock. And most ranchers are starting to use um, non-lethal tools to help um, prevent attacks before they occur. But uh, there still is a lot of uh, persecution going on. And in um, states like Wyoming, we've even tried to get laws changed just, just to have things like coyote whacking stopped. And, and I don't know if you've heard of coyote no. whacking. No, It's where they chase down um, coyotes in snowmobiles. Oh, my God. And, you know, either run them over. When they get up to shoot them, when they get up to them, they'll bang them against the snowmobiles until they die, which... Uh, it's hard to believe that that's an actual activity, but we couldn't even get that banned there. You, it's so crazy to think about how people can be like this and so ruthless. And it's like, and you know, it's like those same people who do that. I, you know, that they probably have the majority have a pet dog, you know, they have mm -hmm. probably a loving family. It is, it just like, it blows my mind how people can be so ruthless and so horrible, you know? Um, and the thing that really gets gets to me is that if you are an ethical hunter, you know, you're the type yeah. of guy that or girl, whatever, that goes out once a year and gets an elk or a deer and mm -hmm. puts the meat in your freezer. Or, um, assumingly, they like to say that most hunters are like that, but yet you can't get the hunting industry as a whole to stand up and say, things like wildlife killing contests or coyote whacking are, are wrong. So in other words, that, that hurts the entire industry, right? That makes everybody less tolerant You're... of all, you know, it's, it's it kind of understandable for someone to uh, hunt, uh, you know, to put the animal in the uh, meat in the freezer, that kind of thing, but just to kill animals for fun and to subject them to cruelty just for fun is, shouldn't be a sport obviously killing shouldn't be something that's glorified or that people do just for fun it should have some sort of purpose or else it's um, not healthy for you know emotionally healthy for a human to engage in yeah and i'm so happy this new age of social media which i don't even which i'm so happy they are like this generate what do they call them? Generation Z or I don't Gen Z, right? I don't know what we're up to. I think what it's are Z, we? Right? Is yeah. it Z? I we have a lot of followers from Generation Z, and they are a lot of them stand up for wildlife. A lot of them, um, you know, are you know, um, you know, for animals. I don't think a lot of them know this still goes on. You know what I mean? Like I think yeah. if you were to talk about this publicly, I think people would be like coyote bashing. Like what? This is a thing. Right. I think we have a lot of old school people, you know, doing these traditional things. Um, but it is, and I like how you said, it's like, it's giving all like the hunting community a really bad name. Cause there are people who are, you know, um, respectful hunters who seriously go out, they respect the animal, they harvest an animal and that feeds their family. And it's like, when you group them all together, it's just like, Oh, it's not good. Those people are putting a bad name for the whole community. If, if, if I don't hunt, but if I was a hunter, I would be ashamed to be in the category of someone who went out to coyote bash and run something down the snowmobile right that, that's how that's how i feel like ranching um and the cattle industry has gotten some pretty you know bad reputation as of late whereas hunting and ranching have historically had these great reputations stellar reputations as salt of the earth people and um you know just working hard to get by and living off the land and being respectful but lately, the reality of it's starting to come out, which is there's a there's some bad ranchers out there. There's they're not the industry as a whole is um, doing some bad things that maybe we need to look at. But uh, the ranching and hunting industry have a way of just saying, you know, doing like, well, let's just put our heads in the ground and defend everything instead of standing up and say, yeah, we can do things better. Instead, they get defensive and. Um, what it's ended up doing is even alienating me. Like I am a vegetarian now. I won't mm -hmm. eat meat anymore, even though I'm married to a cattle rancher, because um, when I see them defending things like um, you can't, when you go to uh, fish and wildlife, fish and game commission meetings here in California, you just go to speak out on things like um, years ago when we were ending wildlife killing contests here in the state and um, the farm bureaus standing up 
for practices like wildlife killing contests. And you're like, really? Do you mm -hmm. think that's going to help you in the long run? It just makes the whole industry look bad. Mm -hmm. um, in my mind, that's what I think. And I think the same with hunting. If hunting um, can't as a whole stand up and say, there's things we're doing wrong or things we can do better, then that's a problem for your industry. And what um, happens is, like you said about this um, new generation, whatever it is, X, I guess. <laughs> X, Z, um, whatever it is, we love you. Z, Z. I think it's Z. <laughs> is You're it young Gen guy. Z? I'm an 89. I, what does I, that make you? Oh, my God. I, I'm oh, I'm a millennial, I think. Or I, am I a millennial? Oh, okay. No, 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 no. I don't I think, think so. so. Are you sure? No, I was born in 89. Oh, hold on. This is going to bother me. Is that pre-millennial then? Hold on, Kelly. This is going to bother me. And I know someone is I probably know. screaming right now. I'm on Google. <laughs> if I was born. Let me know when you find out because. Hold on. In 89. 89. What? Oh, no. 89 wouldn't be millennial. I can't even say it. Understanding the generations. Um, okay. So, uh, millennials are born between 1980 and 1994. CNN reports. Oh, so you are. What are the birth years for millennial? Nineteen seventy-seven to ninety-five. Really? Wow, that's weird. That's I didn't... way earlier. Yeah, and I'm yeah. The, the, so it, it's so confusing. Now? Are we Z? Oh yes. What? I think is it. I think it's Gen Z. Gen okay. Z. And thank you, listeners, for your patience. But we need to know this. Gen Z. What? It, okay. Age groups of a Gen Z age. Gen Zs are. It is so hard. Uh, between the ages of six and twenty-four, right now, are Gen Zs. Oh, okay. Okay, that makes yeah. sense. So we're millennials and then Gen Zs. Okay. Well, Gen Zs, I want to say, you know how every um, old generation, like that I'm from, which I baby boomers, going All baby back boomers. that far, nice. Yeah. Um, we always bitch about the younger younger generations and how they're uh, you know entitled and. Mm -hmm lazy and all this i mean it goes back at my the generation before mine was bitching about us so yeah but i find that the young people are there's a lot of hope there there is um i think they're extraordinary they seem far more mature than i was when i was their age far uh -huh. more um involved globally and looking at things yeah. um as a whole and understand and we've left them with complete crap so we did they yeah. got a big job ahead of them but i see a lot of hope that's the only thing that gives me hope is when i talk to younger people i'm like oh thank god for you yeah there are a lot and we have a lot uh, on our uh, on my social media following we're approaching almost two million followers on tiktok and a lot of those are our wow. gen z people and you really have people concerned about the animals. Like I run a nonprofit animal rescue. Our, my my two superstar animals they focus on are my two alligators. And you have people genuinely wondering, like, why do you have alligators? Why are they in captivity? Like, what is the purpose? Like, and we're happy to answer that. And I'm happy to go into why we rescue them and how we have special license and how we have the proper habitat. But you do have they they do ask questions and. I, I like, I mean, I posted a video about wolves trying to sway. It was when Idaho was, um, back in July, they were going to pass, well, they passed mm -hmm. a law where you can, they want to eliminate, I think it's 95% of all the wolves in Idaho. And I, I, people were calling me so brave and I was getting death threats, but I did a video about what's going on with wolves and how Idaho's going to kill 95% of them. And like my Gen Z audience was shocked. Like, wait, what? This is happening? Like the people are going to do this to wolves? And so... I think there is hope and I think we just need to get the information out there. Oh, well, I'm glad you did that too, because the, um, the realities that are horrible, first of all, who doesn't want to know that there's wolves on the landscape? I mean, I know the world's a worse place for not, I mean, I've never understood that since I was a little kid. Like I remember as a little kid, um, being in Idaho and going through Yellowstone and all that oh, yeah. and, and thinking, you know, you see the moose and the, and the, oh. all the ungulates and that's cool. But to me, even as a little kid, it, it was, it always felt incomplete. And, you know, unless you saw a grizzly bear or something, there was no chance back then to even see a wolf. Yep. But that would have been life changing for me as a kid, just to be, have the opportunity to see it. And it's not fair for, um, prior generations to take that away from future generations regardless of what your reasoning is even if you think you're justified you have no right to to keep that away from somebody you know from from yeah. young people yeah and they, they you know, it's just um, beyond selfish and um 
there are things they do clandestinely or that aren't, um, you know, brought to the public's knowledge quite a bit. Things, horrible things like in Idaho, they've gone into Frank Church wilderness and, and killed wolves. I mean, if wolves aren't allowed to live in the wilderness, where, where can they live? Yeah. They've gone in there and, and decimated packs. They do a thing called Judas wolf collaring. Do you know what that is? Um, is it? No, I can no explain it. I, I think I may have an idea. Is it where they like put a collar on one to find all the others, or they put a collar on one wolf and leave it on and find, and then the wolf leads them to their pack. They'll kill all that pack, and then the wolf will eventually, you know, find another mate and start another pack, and then they'll use that collar to find its new family, kill its new family, leave it alive. Oh and that God. goes on and on. And what? if you know anything about wolves or coyotes, it's the same with coyotes is they have very complex social systems and very, very, very tight family bonds. Um, not unlike humans, um, probably more so than most human families. And to continually lose your family over and over again to something like that is just horrific when you think about it. I mean, we always talk about uh, people that have survived things and, in human terms, uh, we make movies about people, you know, people like this. We uh, write books about them. But in truth, the, the greatest stories of human survival or things that humans have endured is one one hundredth of what your typical wild animal has to endure. Yeah. And I should say all these claims to I, I like being able to back them up with facts. And we've I've we've done I've done so many podcasts on wolves trying to get right information out. But and if someone's listening who's a naysayer saying like, oh, these are, you know, whatever, um, you know, wolves are killing all the livestock. I always like to point in the last three years, the average of wolves killing livestock was point zero zero two percent of, of mm -hmm. livestock fatalities. That is like scientific data that they killed 0.002%. So they killed a little over a hundred head of cattle or sheep each year combined um, compared to the thousands. I think Idaho loses 40 to 60,000 of livestock to like weather and disease. So put that in perspective. If you I, like, you know what I mean? They literally, it's, they take such a small toll and yeah, like the data does not support the killing spree of like going into the Frank church wilderness and wiping out packs. It doesn't support it. It doesn't make sense. Right. What a waste of government funds. Like we there's data. It costs more to send government officials out to kill wolves. than um, if you just were to reimburse a rancher or a farmer, it's like a, it's a waste of money and it's a waste of time. Right. And somehow it all gets politicized, right? Oh, yeah. Like um, it becomes more about politics than it does about if what we're if the if the what's being done even makes sense, and in the case of one time I was in a, a vertebrate pest conference, which oh. is about as fun as it sounds. And <laughs> it I sounds was, god awful. Yeah, it? Oh my god! And um, but you know you got to know what the enemy's doing, right? So um, I was in a um, class on wolves, and they were actually. Uh, talking about, you know, wolves being introduced into California and ranchers' attitude storms towards them and what the actual impacts were. And uh, they had done a survey where they surveyed California sheep ranchers to find out, you know, what their losses were from, you know, wolves, coyotes, mountain lions, blah, blah, blah. These mm. are all, um, the stats were all um, self-reported by the ranchers themselves. So, um, uh slide comes up on the screen and it shows on um, the percentage of loss from of sheep from coyotes it was maybe said 11 percent or something like that and then um wolves was like 0. 0.00 whatever percent and, and then it gets down and then it says um 22 percent human so i raised my hand and i'm like what's the 22 percent human predator i don't understand what's the human uh, you know people shooting sheep what's going on and the guy said, he goes, no, that's from um, people stealing sheep. Mm. And I'm like, okay, so you're telling me that we're losing twice as many sheep to theft from humans than we are from coyotes. Why is everybody worried about coyotes? I mean, yeah. why, don't we focus on, why don't we focus on, you know, the human factor in this, right? You, nev you never mean, hear about that. You never no, hear about never. that. I was shocked. I'm involved with these issues, like, a lot. And I'm like, I didn't know. I mean, I'm not a sheep rancher. I don't know that. 
But I didn't know that theft I, was that big a problem. I love that stat, though. Did you know humans steal twice as many sheep as coyotes? Like, it's so, it's yeah, interesting. Yeah, it's like, what? That is a good point. Who knew? Who knew? You sure never hear about that, do you? No. But, you know. You well, don't. You sure hear about the coyotes a lot. Yeah, and speaking about the coyotes, I mean, so I have a friend who married into a family who are ranchers here in Idaho, and they have always had coyote problems and a history of just of of just shooting them because they the coyotes attack livestock and stuff. Um, what are your thoughts towards that? And um, I, I don't have any stats regarding like how many livestock is lost. It's just a very you know, um, they just have had problems with coyotes. And um, what are your thoughts on that with people who, who do have problems? I want to, I want to, I want to think they are cattle. I do. Not that matters. I was just curious, but yeah. Um, I well, should ask him actually. That, yeah. The thoughts are that if you're a rancher and you know, you have your, uh, you know, if you're going to have livestock, you're going to have dead stock, right? Like hmm. if you're going to be raising livestock, you're going to lose some to, uh, per, a small amount to predation, no, probably no matter what you do. Mm -hmm. So if you go in first, that's the first thing you should understand. So if you lose one animal, um, it's not no need for panic. That's going to happen if you're raising livestock. But the other thing to consider is that there are non-lethal tools that are more effective. They're proactive. They prevent um, your, you're losing livestock before the conflicts occur. And they're um, more cost effective. And it's just if we spent half as much time um, exploring those options as we did killing, we'd be so much better off. Because what happens is coyotes have these complex social systems, right? Okay. So in a pack, which is just a family, just the mom and the dad breed. And all the other animals that are a member of that family are behaviorally sterile. They won't breed as long as they're a member of that pack. But um, if that pack's fractured to things like um, killing, you know, uh, indiscriminate killing, what happens is um, those younger animals, you know, the pack fractures, the younger animals will disperse and they'll start breeding and those can start breeding at younger ages and, and having larger litters in which more pups survive. So um, what we do when we kill as a knee-jerk reaction to losing livestock is we create all these unintended consequences, right? That can occur because we're not understanding the animals that we're dealing with. And these ranchers will say, I've lived with you know, coyotes in my whole life, I know what they are. But there's really areas about them that you only understand by studying them from a scientific standpoint, or you know, we can learn from that. I mean, science is real. It, it presents us with facts that we can learn from. So um, when you, look at the science behind that and you see that it's simply just not effective killing. I'm not saying that there's not a situation where a coyote might not have to be removed for some reason, whether it's a danger to people or livestock or something, those might happen. But at the rate we're killing coyotes versus the amount of times that happen, I personally have never seen an instance where I thought, Oh, that coyote needs to be killed. There's no other solution or, Maybe I've seen it once where I thought that coyote probably should have been taken out. But the vast, vast majority, 99% of the killing simply not only doesn't have to happen, but makes situations worse. So um, if you've got livestock, you just, without a doubt, have to protect it. And we, we raise cattle, right? We've raised thousands and thousands of calves over the years and uh, around coyotes and mountain lions and bobcats and we do lose an occasional um, animal, but it's it's not significant. And we've decided that allowing the coyotes to live with our livestock and, and not kill them actually makes things more stable. We get to a more stable place and we have less conflict than if we were just start shooting them up. Yeah, and aren't coyotes, this is insane, this blew my mind. I think National Geographic came out with an article that they're one of the few animals that they can literally biologically determine how many pups they have. So yeah. what they were saying is that if you shoot one coyote, it's so weird saying coyote, by the way. So if you shoot one, <laughs> if you shoot one coyote, um, that what's going to happen is it's going to have a trickle down effect to where um, other coyotes in the area will reproduce even more pups to fill that niche of the one that was lost. Is that true? Or can we expand on that? Cause it's so fascinating to me. 
Well, they've done studies that have shown it, in order to, like, if you wanted to eliminate coyotes, you would have to kill 70% of the population for like 50 consecutive years to, for that to happen because of the way they can, um, um, because of the way they biologically reproduce to fill, like you said, to fill that gap. So what happens is you remove a lot of coyotes, there's more resources for the remaining coyote. Then when they have those additional resources, their bodies say, oh, things are good. You know, we can uh -huh. have more pups and then they will have larger litters. So yeah. it's fascinating. They're a fascinating animal. And also they have very territorial nature. So people always say, oh, there's so many coyotes around. They're overpopulating or mountain lions, for instance. And mm -hmm. that next door uh, nightmare I was in last night, people are saying, oh, there's just so many mountain lions that are overpopulating. But the truth is, Predators really don't overpopulate areas, you know. Um, mm -hmm. In the case of coyotes, they have very territorial nature, so they simply won't tolerate other coyotes in that area. And so, and the same with mountain lions, you know, they're not going to tolerate a bunch of other mountain lions in their area. There will only be so many in that area. So I think people fail to understand that. So some of the, on the thread um, – about the mountain lion yesterday, they were saying, you know, because in California in the 70s, we had passed that law that, um, you know, made uh, hunting of mountain lions illegal. So one of the people on the thread was saying how, um, yeah, ever since that law got passed, mountain lions are just out of control in California. And I'm like, well, if that were the case, we'd be seeing people getting killed by mountain lions all the time. And that's simply not the case. It doesn't support that. In fact, there are states that allow hunting of mountain lions that have far more human mountain lion conflicts than California does. And we have probably more numbers, higher numbers of mountain lions than other places. So um, I just think the focus with humans a lot is on killing, you know, to solve mm -hmm. problems. And if we took that energy and we put it towards understanding things and or thinking of alternative ways to learn to live with things, we'd be much better off and much further ahead than where we are. I agree. I agree. And back on to them, coyotes, it's so interesting. The Nat Geo article I read, they were saying that when they howl at night or when they call at night, that they'll do like a population census to see all the coyotes around the area. And if there are gaps in that, that will also lead to them to produce more pups. It just, things like that blow my mind. Oh, there's so many cool things about their vocalizations. Um, Number one, they have this trick they can play with their voice. It's called the Bojust effect. Okay. And so when people say, I know coyotes are overpopulating because I hear them at night, and there's dozens of them out there. But two coyotes can sound like a dozen. They can, Two coyotes can sound like a large pack by the way they use their voice. It's a trip. We have um, at the Wildlife Rescue, we have two coyotes that are non-releasable. Mm-hmm education coyotes mm -hmm. so we give tours and before the tours come sometimes we'll get the coyotes howling and we'll ask people how many coyotes do you think that is and they'll say six seven eight and we show them no it's just two and it blows their mind they're like there's no way that's two coyotes but so that kind of um doesn't turn out to be good for coyotes because you know they'll vocalize a lot when they vocalize people are like oh my god there's so many coyotes and uh -huh. the other thing about their vocalizations that's kind of fascinating is if you've heard them, and I'm sure you have, it sounds like they're skinning something alive sometimes, right? Yeah. Like you hear them and you're like, it sounds ominous even to me sometimes. I'm like, what is going on out there? But when you see them in these situations, what's actually happening is um, they spend most of their day apart, even though they're pack animals. Uh huh. So, because they're just hunting small prey, right? They don't need to have a, be around a whole pack. So when they get together at night, they meet up at these places called rendezvous points. And they vocalize to find each other. And then when they find each other, like you see it on video, they're just, it's such a happy, joyous time. It's those vocalizations they make is just them greeting each other. And they're kissing and they're rolling and they're making these sounds like it's cats being skinned. It literally sounds but, like they got a poor little animal. Like that's what we would always yeah. think. I mean, even like this summer, you hear them all howling. It's like, oh, they must have gotten something. It's like, like yeah, right? yeah. I can never convince people. I told my my sister-in-law who, you know, really wants to like wildlife. And I'm she's learning a lot from me. But she's like, these coyotes back here, they're killing something and I wouldn't believe it. I feel so sorry for these animals. I'm like, no, that's just the sound they make when they greet each other. It's actually a very happy time. And she goes, you don't know what I'm talking about. So I sent her a video of the coyotes 
and meeting up at a rendezvous point and the yeah. vocalization she goes oh yeah okay that's what it was yeah it's just a trip it sounds like something's being skinned but it's actually you know coyotes don't vocalize when they hunt predators don't because that wouldn't even make any sense right you yeah be drawing in other predators yeah so they hunt quietly yeah well, what about so let's um talk about and i actually okay really quick let's go back to livestock because you said there are um there are uh non-lethal ways to keep coyotes away what are a couple ways if i'm a rancher to keep coyotes away from my livestock well there's um livestock guardian animals which are mm-hmm. always you know a good option mm-hmm. um there's fencing uh there's uh Things like um, visual deterrence, okay. um, audio deterrence, uh, um, things like box lights, which okay. are uh, lights you can put up on like a T post. Okay. And like it motion flashes. lights. Yeah, but it it almost looks like a cop car is pulling you over. I oh. Mean, it's very bright, random flashes of light. It was invented by a sheep rancher in Australia to keep um, foxes away from his sheep because uh-huh. he found when he'd hear foxes out there, he'd go out there with a flashlight and they'd all run off. Okay. So, yeah. So it's on a dusk to dawn sensor and it'll just flash these lights um, every so often, random flashes of light and it'll deter predators. Mm-hmm. Um, just um, we with, for mountain lions, you need a completely predator proof pen. Um, or, and also another thing I recommend is when you can to use sight deterrence because predators often are you know that what will actually cause an attack is the sight when they have their sights on an animal that moves or runs mm-hmm. so um things like shade cloth around um structures you know oh. where the predator can't make eye contact also a lot of predators don't like to jump into something if they can't see inside because they don't know that they're going to have an escape route okay um yeah and so- things like you know putting a talk radio on and barn at night um music to keep well, talk radio is probably better because it's oh, going to yeah. sound like people talking and that'll yeah. deter them more. Um, human presence is the best deterrent of all. Just being around your animals and being around them at different times during the day so animals can't habituate to knowing when you're going to be there is mm-hmm. one of the best deterrents that there is. So ride, ride out with your livestock. Um, you know, with wolves, range riders, things like that are great. Um, flattery is another tool that's used to, in big allotments like when you're grazing out on open lands what is that and you just put flattery and what it is it's it's a string with little red flags tied Uh to it every little bit and it's um giant rows of that that are made to use almost like a fence oh and it deters wolves um better than coyotes but um, they also have turbo flattery which is adds a hot wire around those things and it goes back to the days in europe um when they used to hunt wolves Mm -hmm. And they found that when they'd have people on foot and they could drive wolves into areas to kill them by just having these uh, rows of flags like um, that for some reason, wolves won't run through them. Oh, I don't know why. So um, especially when they move in the wind, it just keeps them very deterred. Coyotes get a little more bolder about flattery after a while. They Uh kind of figure it out quicker than wolves. Uh But if if you had turbo flattery, that gives you a lot more bang for your buck which is that little piece of hot wire along with it yeah and we should say that killing them is not going to solve the problem um as you said when you kill them it interrupts what do you say their their social dynamic and basically they'll start breeding more and so you're literally when you kill a coyote you're actually adding to the population yeah yeah exactly and the other problem is that people don't understand is you can go ahead and kill something you may have relief for a little while like your livestock might be safer for a little while but nature abhors a vacuum right like something's yeah. going to fill that that that, that vacuum niche, that gap yeah and your animals are still unprotected so you haven't solved anything you're just going to have to maintain a cycle of killing and this applies in suburban areas too for uh, the nuisance wildlife people have around their homes yeah. it's the same principle of why you shouldn't just have a trapper come get rid of that skunk that, you know, you think is bothering you. Um, because, you know, that vacuum's going to be filled, that skunk's still going to get under your deck. And that, it might be another skunk, but so you've got to fix the problem. So in order to fix that problem, it's either exclusion techniques, 
uh-huh. with livestock or your homes uh-huh. that, that actually prevent the animal from gaining access in the first place. That's how you fix the problem. But it'd be like um, using lethal controls would be like opening a jewelry store in, in a city and not putting locks on the door. Instead, you just shoot everybody that walks by. Oh, you that's know? a great way that's to put protect it. Your, yeah, that, I'm going to protect my, my, my valuables by just killing everybody that comes close. No, if you put locks on the door, yeah, that's a common sense step to take before you resort to violence. Yeah, and I have to say, we live out in the country. We have free-range chickens. We have a heavily overweight turkey and two ducks. And they literally, we let them out during the day, but we have a pen that's secure at night. We have a yard. And, you know, we have had instances where we've lost ones during the day to a coyote or a fox or whatever. But it's like, we're, we've, we've been safe for a few years. And it's like, we just take precautions. We put the birds up at night. We have a fence around their pen. We just... And when we have lost them in the past to foxes or a coyote, it's just like, it is what it is. I, I you know what I mean? I, it's, we, we live out here in the country. It's, it's going to happen. And um, as a person who's eaten chicken before, I get it. They're delicious. So I get like, I understand, um, you know, so I don't know. I just, you have to realize that. I tell well. everybody that I say when that has backyard chickens, I'm like, everything eats chickens. That's the first thing you have to understand. Everything eats chickens from snakes to rats to cats (laughs) to dogs to hawks to out you you it's you cannot protect them 100 percent. you're going to lose a chicken if you have chickens so if you go in and think the first one you lose you're like uh you know you're going to start putting out poison or shooting things Uh, you're going to believe in for a very long day because you're going to lose some chickens if you have them but if you the idea is to protect them as well as you can that's the idea you know, but when you have vulnerable animals like chickens, you're going to lose some. Yeah. So well, you got to go in knowing that. What about people and their pets? We often hear of stories of a coyote, um, uh, you know, like trying to lead a pet or a small dog away from the house. They try to like lead it and distract it away or chase it away. And then you have um, the pack come in and, you know, kill the, kill the dog. Is that something that happens or is that something that is, um, is that something that's like made up kind of like a false story that's villainized? Oh, like for an coyotes? urban legend? Yeah. It's an urban thing. Cause on, my, my mom asked me that we were having a conversation about coyotes and she's like, but my client had a dog and said that one pack will mo- lead the dog away and then the other pack will wait and attack. And so I wanted to ask an expert on it. There's actually no scientific evidence to prove coyotes do any sort of luring back to a pack. Okay. I can see why that uh, myth started because mm-hmm. when off-leash dogs love to chase coyotes and coyotes hate being chased. So oftentimes when a coyote is chased by an off-leash dog, it's going to run to where? It's going to run to its closest family member, right? It's oh. going to run back to the safety of its family. So the coyote runs. Coyotes run from dogs 99 times out of 100 unless they have a den site close by. Mm -hmm. Even if they think they can take that dog, coyotes will run from dogs. Coyotes really don't like conflicts. We'll try to avoid them whenever possible unless they're defending a den site. So what happens is an off-leash dog chases the coyote. Coyote runs back to his pack mates. The pack mates come out and help their buddy. And it's not a coordinated predatory attack. It's just a a defensive um, gesture to try to protect themselves. And we like to look at our pets like innocent, you know, my pet is not the problem. It's like the people with the kids in school that their kid's never the bully. Oh, God. The truth is that our pets have uh, far more impact on wildlife than wildlife have on pets. Like I worked for small animal vets for years and we would rarely get any animals in that were attacked by wildlife. But working in the wildlife hospital, we get multiple cases in a week of um, wild animals that are attacked by domestic pets. So Mm -hmm. while we tend to worry about the effect wildlife have on our pets, the truth is that our pets are the ones taking a toll on wildlife, not vice versa. So dogs Mm -hmm. chase animals. People want their dogs off leash. Well, especially during baby season, dogs have a horrible impact on wildlife, even if they don't catch that animal. Um, sometimes these prey animals will die of capture myopathy, meaning mm. if they get stressed enough and they have to run enough and um, they're being, un- think they're under attack and think they're going to die, a lot of times uh, their bodies will react. They'll have like this amazing buildup of lactic acid that they can't mm. dispel, dispel and then it, they slowly die. Mm. 
-hmm. their muscles waste and it's a horrible death. Mm -hmm. So the people think, oh, my dog didn't catch that animal. It's fine. But you never know. A lot of times those animals can succumb later to um, to things like capture myopathy. So um, and it's just invasive and rude, right? Like mm -hmm. these animals are just trying to live their life, raise their young. Our dogs shouldn't be out there chasing them. Our cats shouldn't be eating birds. You know, they our pets need to be under our control or indoors. And we can release them at places like dog parks. Your dogs are just happy to be with you. They don't need to be running loose in places where wild animals are trying to exist uh, to, to have fun. They're just glad to be with you. They need to be under a leash and under control. Yeah. And then it would prevent the dangers that they wild animals present to your pets as well. Yeah. I but can't. it's us being bad owners to be frank. Yeah. I can't agree with you more. I, um, yeah, we have, uh, we live in a neighborhood and there are so many feral cats. And I just remember we saw like two kittens the other day on the road and my wife was like, Oh, they're Aww. so cute. See, so you just went, Oh, and I was like, <laughs> yeah. they, I was like, they need to be removed. And I was like, they, mm -hmm. and, and she was like, Oh, that's horrible. Why'd you say, I mean, I was like, they really need to be gone. And I just was saying they cats kill so many like billions of birds and native animals every year the stats are alarming and it, they're so bad right. like any outdoor cat so that's a complete um that's a complete other discussion um about cats yes but... and i try not to villainize the cats because it's not their fault you're and right killing them yeah really isn't effective right no. like um they no. just so again it's our, your knee jerk and you're right they do need to be removed but we need to stop putting them in those positions Maybe where spay and neuter. Yeah. Um, well, there's arguments to be say that, um, tra you know, uh, trapping, spaying and neutering is not effective, mm. but it's the most effective way that we have right now to control them. Certainly just um, taking them off and euthanizing them isn't any more effective. And it's, you know, cruel a lot of times, obviously mm. adult feral cats probably need to be euthanized because you can't, you know, but their kittens can still be rehomed and things like that. But yeah, neutering them, spaying them, putting them back out. But that's a whole nother issue. I know. You know but I'll probably get a lot of hate mail about I know. I just realized. Yeah, don't at me. Yeah, no, don't, don't know. <laughs> well, Kelly, let's talk about something that's going on right now in Canada. I had a listener reach out and I really want to give her a shout out because she was, and she actually was really um, kind of the catalyst for me wanting to reach out again and um, you know, kind of ask about, you know, coyotes and stuff. And let me just look really, really quick here. Um, and just would love to, like I said, give her a shout out here. Can you talk a little, oh, right here. Her name is Dana and, oh, excuse me, Dina, Dina. And she actually lives in Vancouver in Canada. And they are, you know, right now there are some problems with coyotes in a park in Vancouver over the recent months, um, in a park called Stanley Park in Vancouver, and they have been attacking people in broad daylight along the seawall, not in just wooded areas. And so I know we don't know all the information, but can we just address it and what your thoughts are on what's going on and what we should do? Yeah, that is a really extreme situation that I've certainly never seen before. Um, where coyotes uh, have been attacking people over a period of months. I think they had 45 incidents is, mm. um, in Stanley Park in Vancouver, which is unheard of. As I said earlier, generally um, through all of North America, you get around, you know, it's a ballpark, but a couple of dozen bites by coyotes, um, most of them very superficial in, mm. in, a, in a given year. So um, 45 in a period of months in one area is certainly unheard of. Um, so the situation, but when I hear these things, my mind immediately goes to one thing, um, and that is feeding. Because when people start, there, there's, to my mind, an obvious bad feeding situation going on in that area. Because when people start feeding wildlife, especially intentionally feeding wildlife, mm -hmm. um, it, it makes them lose their natural fear of humans and it makes them more likely to come in conflict so that um w when we work with animals at the wildlife rescue i walk in the pen with almost any of the wild animals no problem they don't they don't cause you any but the, the ones that have been pets before things mm -hmm. like that or mm -hmm. those are the dangerous ones because they're just really not afraid and still even if you feed wildlife most won't become um, to the point where they'll attack you, but, um, 
enough will that we say a fed coyote is a dead coyote. Mm -hmm. So what's happening in Stanley Park, I would say, I, I'm not, you know, I haven't researched the issue at all, but I, just based on the stats that I've heard is there's definitely a huge feeding problem. And I think they did indeed um, arrest a couple of people for feeding. And this is after they did a coal. So these people knew that coyotes were being killed because probably because they were being fed and getting too used to people, yet they were still out there feeding, which I think some of the feeding incidents I hear about are some mental health issues with people. But whatever, it has to be addressed. And I think Stanley Park took it very seriously. And, and they confiscated a vehicle. They have some pretty uh, serious, um, you know, fines and stuff in place, which is good because you have to have those kind of situations. Most of the time, it's not taken very seriously. People don't understand the connection mm -hmm. between, oh, they're just feeding wildlife. What's the big deal? Well, I saw those videos from Stanley Park and people hand feeding raccoons and the that's putting a death sentence on those animals because although that raccoon's cute and it's coming up to you and it's not scared, you know, and it's not being aggressive with you, it's just the fact that that raccoon's approaching someone else will freak them out and they'll want that raccoon killed, you know? So um, what happens is when you start feeding the coyotes, they get a little more comfortable around people. And then finally someone will come up that doesn't have food and the coyote might be like, Hey, Hey, where's Where's my food, you know, and, and nip at them. I think the I think of those 45 uh, attacks, none of them were serious predatory attacks. It was more like um, trying to get people's attention. Hey, hey, you know, where's my food? Um, but it's still, even in Mecca, it's still highly, highly unusual. So either it's a huge feeding problem, someone's, you know, really taking a lot of time and really feeding those um, coyotes consistently, or, um, you know, there's something in addition going along with it. Um, but I'd say it's just a bad feeding situation going on. So do those individuals, you said they've already tried to, they've already culled a few of those coyotes. Is that? They culled like 11, I think, in Stanley Park. Yeah. So would that be the best solution you feel like to remove the individuals that were already, that have been accustomed to being fed by humans and basically... I mean, new ones will move in. But, right. But yeah, then... they're not going to eliminate the coyotes in Stanley Park. Um, I personally think that it would take a, that those coyotes could still be, you know, retrained to avoid people. But when it comes to public safety in a situation like this, like Stanley Park, that's kind of unheard of. You're probably, as much as I hate to say it, better off removing those coyotes until people start taking the feeding situation seriously. Sure. And, um, you know, the new coyotes that come in, hopefully people will not be feeding them and they won't have those, suffer those additional problems again. Because um, it's just easier than taking the chance in a situation like Stanley Park. Mm -hmm. You don't want the long-term reputation of coyotes to get solely to something where serious to happen. Um I mean, humans being humans in that situation, it was probably inevitable that that was going to have to happen like that. Mm -hmm. Okay, Kelly, we're uh, up to an hour. Uh, you know, I guess I kind of want to leave on why keep coyotes around? Like, why are they good? Why, if I'm listening, should I care about coyotes? Coyotes are, um, first of all, I spoke about their... Um, social lives and their social structures the the males they have families that are just like human families and if you can think about your own family it's easy to appreciate the males help raise the kids right along with the female the older siblings will help raise the younger siblings it's really touching the depths of their family bonds so that's one number two a single coyote can eat 1800 rodents in a year wow. so that's a significant amount of free eco-friendly rodent control that we have at our disposal that we're throwing away and they just help keep balance. And I think that there's an intrinsic value with any wildlife, right? Just the mm -hmm. fact that it's there, it should be reason enough for it to be there. It shouldn't have to prove that it has some value to humans. It should just be able to exist because it's ex exists because it's a species on earth like us. We have not, well, humans are the only animal that I have yet to figure out what our value is, yet we're allowed to exist, right? So 
you know, every wild animal has a lot of ecological value that we need to appreciate more of. That's awesome. Kelly, thank you so much for coming on the show. Will you join me really briefly for the after show? Sure. Okay. Awesome. Listeners, if you want to head on over to the after show, all you have to do is head to patreon.com slash animals to the max and listen to the after show. With that said, let's do it. Thanks for listening to the Animals to the Max podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, please share it with friends and family. Also, if you haven't already, hit the subscribe button. It really helps me out. As always, if you have any guest suggestions, if you want to email me personally, head on over to CorbinMaxi.com. And if you haven't already, check out our social channels. You can follow me at CorbinMaxi on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. We'll talk to you next time.